Welcome to the Andy Staples Show and Friends podcast feed. As you can probably tell, this is not the voice of Andy Staples. Sam Khan here, college football writer and the tech expert at The Athletic. Joined here by my good friend, Max Olson. Andy's on vacation on a boat somewhere. Uh, so dad's away, so the kids are going to play here for a little bit and get you through uh, spring break. Max, how are you doing today? Or do you wish you were on a boat right now? Yes, yes. Uh, it's it's an honor to be called off uh, called up off the bench here by the Andy Staples feed and uh, and get to to talk to you, my friend. Uh, great to see you. Um, it's been a little while since we taped a pod, um, and I'm not on a boat. Don't have any plans to be on a boat soon. And so, yes, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty jelly of of Andy Staples right now. <laughs> we uh, I think the last time we recorded one with you and me was right before. TCU got lambasted by Georgia 65 to 7. Uh if you remember that one. Was that our last was, uh, one was like talking through the ways that TCU could be competitive with Georgia? I I think so. Is that I why they so. haven't let us do a pod since then? I think that's Maybe. probably it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. TCU ruined it for we, us. We all. taped the wrongest pod in the history of the feed, and uh we gotta get a slap on the wrist for that. That's right. That's right. Uh but we we no, got I'm, we got I a joke. Great sh- we we've been in off season mode. It's been busy. Yeah, no, no doubt. You have been very busy, and we'll get to that in just a second. But we got a great show today. Let, let's talk today about Big 12 2023. Uh, so much ahead for this conference with uh, a 14-team iteration for one year, obviously with Texas and OU spending their last year in the league, the four new members coming in. Uh, a lot of different stuff that's happened in the last couple of months. And as spring football starts, we'll look ahead a little bit to some storylines. We'll have Justin Williams, who covers Cincinnati for The Athletic. He'll join us later in the show talk about the Bearcats and we'll, we'll talk some big picture on, on what the four teams out new teams outlook will be. Uh, and, and we'll get to some realignment here in just a second, but before I get you get to you here, of course, we're about to start the NCAA tournament. Max, have you filled out a bracket? Do you feel confident in your bracket? Haven't printed a bracket. Haven't looked at a bracket. Uh, probably will do that Thursday morning. Uh, probably about nine, nine, 10 AM. Um, I've watched, very little college basketball this year. I went to the Big 12 basketball tournament last week and watched very little basketball at the Big 12 <laughs> basketball tournament. Um, yeah, not wouldn't say I'm proud of that. That's just how it goes sometimes. Um, yeah, it's uh, I'm less knowledgeable about college basketball than ever before, I think, at, at this point in my life. I think it's a combination of this college football has really turned into a 12-month sport in terms mm-hmm. of our coverage of it. Um, having a kid has mm-hmm. helped my life in a lot of ways, but not in terms of being a college basketball fan. Um, yeah, I just don't, I'm, I'm, I'm way, I'm way gone. Like I'm, I'm just way, I'm not, I, I've just, I, I, I have no clue when it comes to college basketball. So yeah. um, in fact, even when we were writing some of this realignment stuff, like a week or two ago, I actually had to like pull up the AP poll and be like, is who's who's number one right now? Like I was writing about Arizona. I'm like, is Arizona in the? Are they having a good year? I, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> North Carolina was is like, not even in the tournament. And then I was like, the wait. And then I was like, wait. Houston's number one. How about that? Good for you, Houston. Like I. So clearly, I'm guessing you've watched like a little bit of college basketball this year. Yeah, with your yeah. Alma mater at the H- top here. Houston. Uh, well, I think now that they lost in the conference championship game, they fell to I believe number two in the rankings. So they're, they're not number one, but they are a number one seed in the in the tournament so i have watched i went to a game uh earlier this year for tita center fun experience like they're legit really great team really big time college basketball atmosphere there uh that was a lot of fun i saw them play cincinnati uh and, and i've watched a little i watched a few of their games but like you it, college football is now really like you said a 12 month year sport between the portal between the realignment rules changes coaching changes uh recruiting there, there's so much that goes on that that you really are kind of into this sport all year round. And, and unless you're just a huge college basketball fan, which I used to be like you before I had kids, <laughs> I have it, you know, it's hard to find time to watch it. But you, you mentioned you were at the Big 12 basketball tournament, not watching basketball, but instead talking to stakeholders. So a lot of realignment buzz. As we know, there's been a lot of back and forth between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and who's going to do what as we sit here and wait for a Pac-12 TV deal. But Tell us a little bit about your time there. What what some of the buzz uh, that, that you heard coming out of there in terms of realignment and, and how long we may have to wait for a resolution for all this? Yeah, well, first first things first, you know, in the interest of uh, of transparency with our listeners, 
I only ate two of the foods among the Big 12 Eats. Uh, Which I ones? only knocked out two. Uh, I, I had the uh, I had the Oklahoma uh, the I'm pulling up the menu here the Stormin from Norman Oklahoma taco which is a fry bread oh, uh, ground good. beef taco that was mm-hmm. pretty good and I had the TCU loaded tots which was tater tots with queso chopped with brisket purple pico colored <laughs> and and purple sour cream. <laughs> and uh, I, I would say the tots were better. Um, there was a lot of sour cream. There was a lot of purple sour cream okay. on these tots. Okay. Uh, so much so that I didn't, I didn't even tweet a picture of it because I didn't want people like you saw the guy who posted the picture of his Virginia barbecue just absolutely get destroyed on Twitter. Like I, I don't <laughs> yes, need to be I posting. I, I don't need to be posting food pics that that get me killed here. So um, I I thought the TCU tots were better. Um, there was a few more. I, I, I wish I had. Uh, uh, had 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 time and appetite to try, uh, but I thought that was a overall. Uh, it was a good endeavor. Uh, look forward to. We'll talk about that with Justin too, because I, I need to pick his brain on um, how the, how Cincinnati and the new members fit. What what is the Houston food next year, Sam? Is it uh, is it turkey legs or what? What, do you, what would you do? I, I think I think right now it's turkey legs. Yeah. Uh, that what are you stuffing the turkey them with? Mac and cheese, baby. <laughs> maybe okay. some, maybe a little barbecue brisket. You know. Uh, Ooh, okay. So I, I think you could, uh, I think you could make that pretty interesting. But you could go a number of ways. Uh, you could go Tex-Mex, uh, some kind of Tex-Mex. Although I know Texas had the Longhorn quesadilla, so uh, I feel like at Houston we could do a little bit better than that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think turkey leg or Tex-Mex is probably the way to go. Yeah, uh, if you're coming out of Houston, but I think that's uh, or we could go, we could go a little while, we could do some Viet Cajun, maybe you know, we mm. could, uh, you know, we could get some Bon Me up in here, you know, if you want. So it's uh, we could we can we can do a lot of different things coming out of Houston, but that's true. You can represent really well. Um, so the food was the food was good. Um, I it was interesting talking um talking to lots of different folks in Kansas City. Um, I think. The as things stand today, um, and <laughs> this could change between now and when this podcast posts, obviously. But um, <laughs> you know, I think there's there's still um, just generally optimism that the Big Twelve is 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 in a good position here um, to 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 make its case. You know, there's there's obviously just a lot of mystery around the Pac-12 TV deal and what is like the final shape that's going to take. Who will be the partners? What's the money going to be? Um, what's the distribution, you know, how much streaming versus, uh, you know, linears are going to be there. And so that's why I, and I understand a lot of people, um, are getting, uh, angsty about this and pointing fingers and, and, and the whole, the whole big 12 pack 12 war is a conversation for another episode of this show. <laughs> but, um, I just think in the, it, it, the, the lack of clarity on where that's all going, um, is, is kind of, in the interim, there's just a lot of speculation and, and a lot of curiosity. And so um, I, I I don't know. I don't, you know, there weren't people in the Big 12 who, who feel like they have a good sense of what that's going to end up being. But to them, it's not even really about what's the number. I mean, uh, for, for, the, for you know, the, the an, average annual number for the Pac-12 deal, I, I think they look at it as they think they're doing something really exciting. They've, they've been able to stack a bunch of wins here, um, you know, since Brett Yormark took over in July. And... You know they they feel like these you know pursuing these four Pac-12 schools it just makes sense. I think the fits there. They think that um, they they're really excited about the direction they're going in, and you know it's it's going to just be a question ultimately of like do those schools kind of buy the vision of what Brett Yarmark has achieved so far and and where he's trying to take this conference over the rest of the decade. And you know um, I, as I said on Bruce and Stu's pod, I I think that um, really the, the the interesting targets to really keep an eye on here are, are Arizona and Colorado, and just mm-hmm. um, I I think the sense I get is they've been more receptive, um, you know, in, in terms of having these conversations. And um, if I, I I think some people in the Big Twelve believe that like if you can get them, you know, you feel pretty good about your chances of getting all four. Um, and by all four, I of course mean you know Arizona and, and Utah as well. Um, but I think there's just a lot that has to play out here really over the next, uh, you know, 10 days or two weeks in terms of getting some clarity on, on what that deal um, looks like. And are the, is that is that good enough to, to make the Pac-12 uh, members comfortable with sticking together um, and, and signing a, a long term deal? Or ultimately, will, will that offering from from Klyavkov be 
Um, disappointing enough, I guess, that they would actually seriously considering seriously consider leaving the Pac-12. So um, at this point, I I don't know. I don't know which way this is all going to go. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm all the way there yet in believing that the Pac-12 is doomed. Um, but man, there's just so much uncertainty here, and and certainly the Big Twelve has uh, kind of been preying on that. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I I very much am in the camp of I'll believe it when I see it, and I certainly understand the Big 12's position. And and even if you were just to add Arizona and Colorado, obviously Colorado, a former Big Twelve member, mm-hmm. uh, that that still would be a little bit of a boost for the conference. But I I do have a hard time thinking, and maybe this is just me, just being a little bit gullible and silly but i just do have a hard time believing like you said the pac-12 is just going to completely collapse so and i just don't know how healthy that is for the the sport as a whole i don't think it is i think having a strong western wing of the of college football and college sports is important and so uh, but i understand at this juncture everybody's doing what's best for their conference so uh that's so i get it And, and those schools those four schools you mentioned arizona arizona state colorado utah are going to do what's best for them uh, long term. So uh, either way, I would say I, this. I, I will say, I think, let me add too. Like Brady sure. Mark is very like he's 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 determined. Okay, he yeah, I, yeah. he is um he's gonna you know he's he's going to make every effort to try to pull this off. I think he made it clear last week publicly that you know trying to trying to add these Pac-12 schools is is a bigger priority right now than adding Gonzaga or or any other um, potential. Um, you know, uh, expansion moves. Um, I'm not sure that there's like a very clearly defined, here's the plan B if the Pac-12 schools stay put. I think that's a conversation for down the road. If, if, you know, indeed that the deal comes together and they all, um, you know, lock arms and, and move forward. Um, I, I think folks in the big 12 are, are pretty, uh, determined to, uh, to, to try to make this a reality. And, and I know a lot that a lot of people are, are understandably skeptical of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, these, these, you know, the deal making here between the PAC 12, um, getting its TV stuff done and Brett Yormark trying to seal a deal with, with adding PAC 12 schools. Um, it's going to be pretty intense here over these next couple of weeks. And, uh, in the meantime, uh, through all the silence, I imagine there's probably going to be uh, a lot of BS and a lot of speculation yeah. that kind of fills the vacuum there. I was going to say there's a vacuum and it needs to be filled. So people are going to fill it with whatever they want at this point. Uh, do you get the sense overall, though, that regardless of what happens, the Big 12 is in a pretty good spot moving forward? Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, they feel really confident about the the 12 that they have moving forward. Um, I think there's everyone is pleased that the Texas-Oklahoma divorce got settled um, and that they're moving on. I think that, you know, certainly when you look, when you talk to people at a basketball tournament, they're going to bring up, hey, Houston's number one. We feel like this league is about to, we, we feel like this is the best men's basketball league in the country and it's about to get even better next year. Um, you know, undoubtedly um, in, in adding what um, Kelvin Sanson and his program are doing right now. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they, there's still an overall point of view of like, we don't need this to happen when you talk to folks in the Big 12, like they like the 12 they got, they like the composition and and the plan moving forward. But um, certainly it, they they view adding those four schools. I, I know people can look at it like just from a football standpoint and, and ask some questions, but I think they really do view um, what that would mean in terms of uh, of expanding and, and being a truly national conference. They they look at that as as potentially uh, a huge win, and they're they're certainly trying to pull it off. Let's shift from off the field and, and the realignment buzz to a little bit on the field. You mentioned Texas and OU. That deal got done in the end of January, I think it was. Then the schedule came out in, in early February. Uh, so we've got a, a look for one year with 14 teams. Uh, what do we think, from, from a football standpoint, what do we think Texas and OU's chances are and, and what this league could look, could look like in this one-year 14-team setup? Yeah, it's going to be. It was interesting being in Kansas City talking with folks about like how different the basketball tournament's going to be next year in terms of adding four new fan bases, and uh, you know they're moving the women's tournament over to T-Mobile as well. So that's going to be a very different look there next year. I, I think on the football side of it, um, man, it's gonna it's it's gonna be like like as you sit here today. Do you think you could write down the one to fourteen and like feel really good about the standings? <laughs> no. Like I certainly don't. Gosh, I mean, no. I mean, obviously, like the the fact that like you know the rosters are still pretty fluid all the way through through June and July now um, is is a factor in that. But like, man, 
I don't know. We probably need to be, you know, mindful of what we learned from last year and be like, I didn't see that coming from TCU. So like, who am I not seeing it coming from in the big 12 this year? Yeah, that would be interesting to, to, to see, uh, to pick who that dark horse team would be. I think if I had an early pick for that, it would be Texas tech. Uh, yeah. Just because I like what they bring back. They bring back almost their entire staff. They bring back a lot of talent. Uh, they did lose Tyree Wilson, but you know, they bring back two quarterbacks and uh, they still have a ton of skill talent. And and I, I think the second year, Joey McGuire, second year, Zach Kitley, second year, Tim DeRuta could be interesting. Um, I went to spring practice at Texas though last week. And let me tell you, buddy, those guys look different. <laughs> and I say that in a good way. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I remember you, what you watched them team, get off the bus and they get, they, yes. they, they, they passed the get off the bus test. Buddy, buddy, they, they look a lot different than they did when Steve Sarkeesian got there. I remember going to his, uh, not spring practice because it wasn't open. We were still uh, in, in COVID protocols at that time, but the first fall practice, uh, the open practice that they had in that fall. And I remember thinking, looking around, it's just like, yeah, this does not look like an SEC team. And now I go there and look and I'm like, huh, this is looking a lot closer to an SEC team, at least as far as what their linemen look like. Uh, their skill talent is definitely upgraded. Boy, uh, early name for for the fans to watch out for. Jonte Cook is going to be a lot of fun to watch, buddy. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be excited. To watch he he, I'm, he popped year. right away on the practice field. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Anthony Hill, the linebacker, commit to. By the way, he's a five star for a reason. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, the, so they they to me when I look at this, and, and I think I had this conversation with Andy and Ari a couple weeks ago when we talked about Texas and Texas A&M, who do you look at in the big 12 as the favorite as who is the odds on favorite in the conference right now? Cause TCU lost a lot. Kansas state, the champion lost a lot. Uh, and I, you know, Baylor had a down year, the 2021 champ, they had a down year last year. Uh, so Oklahoma state, they were, sure. they were down. So who do you really look at? And I look at Texas right now. You feel like Shit, it's Big 12 I, title or bust for this team. Dare, dare I say this is the odds on, or should be the odds on favorite coming into the year. And I know given everything that's happened in the last 13 years in that program, it sounds silly to say, but when I look at the talent they've built and, and the direction they're going, and if I think Quinn Ewers takes a big step in year two, I don't, I don't know if it's Big 12 title or bust, but he certainly, they should be certainly get to the Big 12 title game. Or bust, and if you don't get to the Big Twelve title game as Texas, then I think it's got to be a disappointment. Then you got to fire Sark. I mean, there's just no question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the te that's Texas, man. It's got to be extreme. It's got to you know, um, it's year three, so it's time to win it all, right? That's how it. It's that's how right. It that's goes. right. Um, I know. I mean, it's it's a fair, it's it's a fair point for sure. Because well, first of all, things are going to get a lot tougher in 24. We all we all know that. And obviously, I'm not saying that this season's a cakewalk. Obviously, they have to go to Tuscaloosa in non-conference play. But yeah, I mean, even without Bijan and and Overshone and some of the pieces they lose to the NFL, like, and even with the question mark around, you know, just how great the quarterback play is going to be, probably should win the Big Twelve this year, right? Yeah, I, I like I said, at least I think they should be in the game, in the Big Twelve title game. But yeah, I think. Right now, when you look at what they have, and, and who's going to be in that game? Oklahoma. I mean, I just it's so tough to like. And you know, Oklahoma, one right now. Oklahoma had a down year, but man, they did a really good job in recruiting. They pulled in the number four class in recruiting, and they did a really good job in the portal. I thought they did. Oklahoma yeah. added some added some really good guys. You know, they added Son McCullough from from Indiana. Uh, they added they brought um, whole new tight end out of the portal. Yeah. Yeah, they brought they brought in the tight end back. Uh, who was the Stogner. one there? Austin Stogner from yep. South Carolina brought him back. They got a lot. They brought in a lot of guys who have playing experience. They, they didn't bring in a ton of guys who who are just you know, hey, they went somewhere and, and sat a year. No, they brought in a lot of guys who have production. Uh, Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech at safety. So I, I think year two there is going to definitely be better. Uh, you know, obviously you get Dylan Gabriel back. Uh, you got your coordinators back. Uh, it, Obviously, Gabriel's back, but I'm also super intrigued by Jackson Arnold and, and how that's going to play out there. I think he, I think he's going to be long term for them. I think he's going to be a stud, uh, terrific, terrific quarterback prospect out of the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, that's the question: is who, who else is in that game? Can 
does Baylor bounce back? Uh, I mean, you're really he, taking away, you know, some, I mean, you take away Deuce and Anadike Zama and Julius Brent, some really talented players from K-State who, go, who went pro. TCU, obviously, you can make a pretty big list of, of very impactful guys that, um, you know, won't be there next year. Um, like, I don't know, man. Quentin like, Johnson, yeah, Kendra Miller. Max so Duggan. you're probably right. There's probably, like, as I look through it here, are people really going to fall in love with Texas Tech and really kind of just hype them up a ton just based on returning production? That's that's a possibility, and that's that's why that's why they stick out to me right now as a potential come out of nowhere team because they were really solid last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the only game that I really thought they got embarrassed in was against Baylor. Baylor ran all over them in the middle of the year. Uh, I think one about forty five seventeen something to that effect, but. Uh, they beat Ole Miss in the bowl game. They 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 beat Texas and OU in the same year that they've been to back to back bowl games. And and you just I think you really get a good vibe off of what they're building uh, with that with that staff and with that roster. So uh, I think it's, they've got some potential. It's very like you look you just like you look at it, and it is definitely like a ripe year for a team. It's but it's interesting because all four of the like so UCF. Brings back John Rice Plumley, but the other three will probably have new quarterbacks. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of a ripe year for someone to come in, and people would be like, "Oh, wow, they were better than we yeah. thought." Like we weren't quite ready for them. But like, I'm not sure that there's one of those four programs. Maybe UCF. Maybe I don't. I don't know BYU. I, I like it. Like th- this would be a good year for someone to come in and surprise people. But I'm not sure that those schools are quite ready to make that, you know, have that kind of like super like here's the veteran team that's going to come in and really roll right away. Yeah, and, and that I think that takes time too because uh, especially if you're coming out of of the the American like Houston UCF and Cincinnati are the the level of line of scrimmage play you're going to see is different just from a depth standpoint. And and I was talking to some coaches I went and visited Houston a couple weeks ago just to kind of get a sense for how big 12 ready they are. And and I think one of the coaches put it to me was when you play in the American, say you're five offensive linemen, you think there's probably going to be a weak link there that you can attack at Baylor and at Oklahoma state and at Kansas state, there really isn't going to be a week as a, a link as weak on that line of scrimmage as there is in that conference. And, 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 ju- and then it becomes a depth question after that is uh, it's not your first 22. It's what's your next 22 looks like. And in, in the big 12, those next 22, they've the, all these programs have been recruiting at a higher level, mostly th- than the four incoming schools for the most part, I guess, maybe, I guess you could take Cincinnati as an exception because they've been kind of recruiting at a top 45 level, uh, at least in the last of the fickle era. So it, but but it's that's going to be an adjustment for those teams, and so I'm fascinated to see how that goes. And and, and you have to catch some luck for some of that to happen too. If you're gonna if you're gonna be one of those four teams is going to surprise, got to stay healthy. You're going to have to catch a little bit of good luck. Um, and, and these these schedules are also a step up for these programs. Certainly for the three American schools, there are no temples on the schedule. No offense to Temple, but it, it, there's no there's no team that just. It is really, really bad. The last place teams in this league last year were West Virginia and Iowa State. And those teams have a pretty substantial amount of talent when you compare it to what the, the four newcomers have. Yeah. Now, here's some here's some breaking Houston news for you, Sam. The Texans are bringing back Case Keenum. What? <laughs> All right, let's go. Your 2020, guy. 2023, and Case Keenum is still playing NFL football, by the way. Um, he's going to mentor a first-round draft pick at quarterback. What a great that's deal. That's right. That's right. How, how about that, man? Let's go. Good good, good for Case. I, I promise you, I, I covered his last year at Houston, and he, w- he obviously went undrafted. And I thought he would maybe stick around for a few years as a backup quarterback, but gosh, I would if you would have told me he'd have been in the league, 12 years later, I, I wouldn't have believed it. So good Bro. for that guy. Good for that guy. I, I Okay, so we've we've talked through a bunch of these, and I think ultimately, by just by process of elimination here, Sam, there is no, there's no other conclusion. Big 12 title game. Texas versus Kansas. <laughs> That's right. Jalen Daniels. We're not back, mentioning right? Kansas. We That's should right. be mentioning Kansas. Jalen Daniels stays healthy. 
I mean, they were really, really good until he got hurt last year. So I certainly don't. I mean, you can't rule that out. But I mean, they're, they're oh, actually, really I, let me be, let me be clear. I'm, I, I apologize. I, I'm talking about football, not basketball. I know we just saw that <laughs> Big 12 title game in basketball. I'm talking about Kansas football against Texas in the Big 12 title game would be that would be would, wild. Could, could you think of a better high That'd stakes be, finale for the end of this era of the Big 12? That would be terrific. I would love that. I would love that. That would be that would be a lot of fun, especially after everything that Kansas has gone through uh, as a program. Uh, and of course, we know the history between those two football programs and the uh, the, the wins that Kansas got that uh, became very, very uh, seminal in their program and, and seminal in Texas program for a different reason. Mm-hmm. But that would be that would be really cool to think about. But but this is the great thing about this conference and what the possibilities of it is that it really I do really, truly believe it is wide open this year. Uh, and, and I think it was last year, too, as we saw. But. But that I think that's kind of the nature of this league moving forward. And so even as we go into the last year of Texas and OU in it, it still feels that way to me. Even though I think, like I said, I, I feel really good about where Texas is. I think overall, that you there's a lot of different teams you could put in that Big 12 title game, and I would believe it for sure. Well, well do you, maybe and, and look, maybe we're getting a little too caught up in like the 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 star power of here, and maybe maybe we're sort of underestimating what's going on in Fort Worth. Like, is it possible that TCU could have an Oklahoma type of run where they are playing for and or, or winning a bunch of big 12 titles in a row here? I mean, it's, I wouldn't I mean, we know they out. think highly of Chandler Morris. And I know it's not, it goes beyond quarterback play. Obviously they've lost, you know what, what they have to replace is not just Max Doug and the Heisman finalists, but um, I don't know if, especially you look at, you know, 25 and on like, could it could it could that be the case that TCU is is rolling up a bunch of them? I, I think I think long term I feel really good about TCU. I think this year just replacing that amount of production and how many the the term I like to use heart and soul guys they lost is just that's just tough to overcome. But they have done a really good job of recruiting. I mean they had a, a top twenty recruiting class uh, and and they brought in a lot in the portal. I mean you know you you, you think about how many former SEC guys you know the Tommy Brockermeyers, the JoJo Earls. Uh, Trey Sanders, you know, they brought in a lot of guys that are should be plug and play guys in theory. John Paul Richardson from Oklahoma State, you, yep. you think of him, you plug him in that in that receiver room, and I mean, he caught, he caught forty nine balls last year. So you, you think of him in that offense, I think that, that they've got some real potential, uh, and, and certainly they had a lot of good young players that that were contributors last year. So I, I wouldn't rule them out by any stretch, but it, it's just. I think because of how they had a lot of good fortune on their run. And so are, are they going to catch that many breaks? Probably not. Uh, and, and then also it's a question of Max did a lot of, of kind of carrying them through some of these comebacks. We haven't really get to see Chandler Morris play enough to really get a feel for if he can do that. I think from a physical skill standpoint, the guy can play like the, he's, he's, can throw the ball. He's, he's mm-hmm. a tremendous passer. We saw that one game against Baylor right after Gary Patterson got fired. He was terrific. Terrific in 21 uh, against Baylor. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so I think he's definitely got the potential. He was a four-star kid coming out, top 300 type, type recruit. So I think the talent is there. It's just a matter of can you get all those pieces and, and meld it all together quick enough because that was a team last year that even though it was a new staff, so many of those guys had played together for years and years and years. That's just hard to replicate. The, the offensive line, they lose a lot of that up there. So that that's what I think makes me a little nervous about them. But but I don't. I wouldn't rule them out. But but I definitely think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't pick them one or two going into the going into the league this year. It, it's we're gonna have to figure out, especially when Texas and Oklahoma move on, um, and you bring in the you know you, you've got the new setup, and who knows if that that conference ends up being a sixteen team conference. I guess we'll see. But like we're gonna have to kind of figure out. Um, what that formula, that team formula is to, um, because I think we saw it from TCU and K State last year, where, and obviously it didn't matter that Sonny Dykes hadn't, hadn't been at TCU um, for, for a long period of time, but you saw what Chris Kleiman was able to build. And there is like, it, I, I feel cliche saying it, but like, man, there really is kind of like that. Do you have like the veteran starting, you know, starting 22? And you've got like the right leadership, um, and and like the right amount of like returning experience, and a couple like really nice playmakers that like that's kind of going to be the formula to win the Big Twelve now going forward, right? And it's like you can yeah. it can look different, but like you have to kind of have that minimal amount of 
um, veteranness, I think, with your with your team or at least your your starting lineup. Um, to but the the teams that have that that like bring back enough and don't have a ton of attrition and have multi year starters that that you know you have a, have a chance to be drafted and stuff like that. Like I think the teams that just have the most of those guys because we're gonna take out you know. Like yeah, TCU's got some four four star guys, right? They've got some some really talented like in terms of like where they're ranked as recruits. But like overall, when you take out Texas and Oklahoma, like that recruiting edge is kind of negated a little bit. Or I mean, it kind of evens out a little bit in terms of top to bottom here. So we're gonna have to so we can be smarter about prognosticating this. We're gonna have to kind of figure out what is that that line of like or who who rises up among the pack like just on paper um, because you certainly that's I feel like that's what we saw. Last year, and, and honestly, I feel like we saw that um, with Baylor and Oklahoma State in 2021. I think same story with those guys. Yeah, and I don't think any of these programs are going to recruit consistently at a top 15 level nationally, I wouldn't say. Uh, you know, certainly TCU, I think, can probably flirt with it, given a lot of their advantages where, where they sit from a location standpoint and, and building off that success they had last year. But these are all going to be programs that I think are in the same range of recruiting or a similar range of recruiting uh i'll be curious to see how those texas teams how baylor tcu tech and houston all battle it out now that they're all in there together and, and as things change and as we learn more about nil and who's doing really well which like so far it seems like texas tech and tcu are doing that pretty well uh i'll be curious to see how that how that plays into it but i think overall that formula that you're talking about Outside of your power programs that recruit at top 10 levels, in every other conference, I think that is going to be its retention and development because it is so much harder to keep a roster together now that when you do retain guys and when you do have some guys who've been together for a few years, that is going to be kind of the formula unless you just recruit at a top 10 level every year. That's just kind of the reality. I mean, there's just like, yeah, look, there's luck involved, obviously, but like ultimately those kind of teams, as we've seen in the last two seasons, like those are the kind of teams that find a way to win all the close games because you end up playing a ton of close games <laughs> over the course of a Big 12 schedule. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I, I think that there's, uh, clearly this year it's going to be, it's going to be fun because there's opportunity for some to rise up here and surprise. And at the same time, you have to say like Oklahoma and Texas, uh, Texas especially, like better take advantage. This is the last chance to, uh, you know, when when you know you 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 have this edge over everybody in your league. Um, it's time to to really put it all together and and win one last one. Um, otherwise, uh, <laughs> otherwise, you know that that trophy case could get get uh, a little dusty in football here over the next few years. <laughs> Well, Oklahoma, certainly, I think Texas has already collected a lot of dust, has it not? <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's true. So before we bring in Justin, uh, let's talk a little bit about spring spring ball. It's starting up. Some schools have started up. Some schools will start up after spring break here. Uh, anything in particular that you're looking for? Like I said, I, I've hit a few schools. I went to Texas. I've seen Houston. Uh, any anything that's really jumping out at you uh, that you're interested to learn in spring ball? Now, let me ask you. So you you went to Texas. Obviously, you, you saw our guy Dave Wilson trying to stir up trouble about yes. the quarterback battle there, and um, Adam Schefter too. And Adam Schefter <laughs> sharing that. Shout out to Dave. You know we love you. Um, what what is your like official take on what you think the the Quinn versus Arch situation is today and in September? Uh, I, I think it's Quinn is Quinn is the guy for right now. Like today, Quinn is Quinn is taking the one reps as he should. And Steve Sarkeesian said it pretty plainly. He's got a year head start. And I thought he was very realistic about it. He's like, hey, I'm going to leave this thing open because I don't want to limit what Arch Manning can do. And that's fair, especially when you recruit number one recruit in the country. But you also he also is a true freshman in college. And there's a, there's an adjustment period there. There's some learning to do. And Quinn Ewers has already gone through that. Quinn, Quinn's already had a full year here at Texas. And, you know, he had a few months at, at Ohio State, although I don't know how helpful that really was. But, you know, he, he's been out of high school now for, you know, almost two full years, not quite, I guess about 18 months. And I think the, the thing that I was encouraged by was Sarkeesian using the words leadership 
and maturity with Quinn Ewers because I don't know that we've heard him use that in association with Quinn Ewers uh, before before this spring. Uh, and, and we we all know, you know, we've known Quinn for obviously reclassifying for the NIL thing and and the mullet, and he's got all the NIL deals and and all that stuff. But if he's ready to take that step as, hey, I'm going to, you know, be the leader and I'm going to improve on all these things I need to work on, then I think in your best case scenario, if you're Texas, you want him to be that guy early on. And then hopefully he has a bang up year in 2023. And then he has a decision to make at the end of the year, whether or not he wants to come back or whether he wants to go to the draft. But if not, at least get you through to midseason that if he hits a snag that Arch has had some time to develop and and get some reps with the first team or get some rep, more reps in practice, get through a fall camp, maybe even get some backup reps in some of those non-conference games early in the year. You want, I think you want that to happen before you throw Arch to the fire because I'm not a real big believer in just throwing a true freshman quarterback out there uh, in, in you know live uh, as a starter. Uh, I just think that's so hard. I think it's just so many few. There's so few guys who can do that. There's not a lot of Trevor Lawrence's, and even Trevor Lawrence didn't really take over until midseason. Uh, you know, Kelly Bryant started the first right. handful of games at Clemson, right, yeah. but there's only a few Trevors and Tua's and Caleb Williams's. There, there's not very many. I think I just named three guys that did not start game one. All three of those guys did not come in until Caleb didn't come in until Red River. Tua didn't come in until the national championship game. Uh, and I say that as as the main guy, not not as as mop of duty. And so I think you take that same approach with Texas. I think you 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 ride Quinn as long as you can ride Quinn. Oh gosh, I and, didn't even think about it that way. He, he <laughs> does does Quinn Ewers get rattlered at Red River? I hadn't even thought about that possibility. I, it could, yeah, it would be crazy. That would be crazy. That would but be you crazy. would like like him to get you there. But I'm not out on Quinn Ewers. I still think. No. The, the guy has got a tremendous amount of talent, and we just found out, Steve Sarkeesian said that Xavier Worthy was playing with a broken hand the last, second half of last season, which was an interesting revelation. But you stack up that receiver room with Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jonte Cook, Jordan Whittington's back, Isaiah Nair comes back healthy. Like, now you've got some tools, because they, they didn't really have a lot of depth at, depth at receiver last year, and they have Jatavian Sanders who had a really good year at tight end. But now you've got some tools to work with, uh, in terms of receivers, that it, it, assuming X is back healthy, and you've got some other options, and if Quinn's a year better and a little bit year more developed, then I think this team that that's part of the reason why I think this team has Big Twelve title potential. Yeah, it's 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 going to be there's going to be a big old spotlight on on Ewers and just the the step that he takes here. Um, in year two as a starter, I you know I'm working on a piece looking at the the quarterback competitions across the country um, for the spring and, and which ones are are worth watching in terms of from a portal perspective. I don't know that I would put Texas in that list just based on. I certainly don't see Quinn Ewers going in the portal in May. I mean, I think it could be an interesting situation <laughs> at the end of the year, but certainly don't think so that that's a post spring situation at all. Um, and you wonder kind of how some of these will will shake out. And there's not that many in the Big Twelve though. There's a, a decent amount of returning uh, uh, quarterbacks. I, I think the Oklahoma State situation is pretty interesting because um, a lot of people re- remember Alan Bowman from his time at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have not heard about Alan Bowman in several years because he went to Michigan. <laughs> And and was the backup there um, was the the third string guy this year and so I thought that was a really interesting veteran pickup for Oklahoma State to to go um, push Gunnar Gundy and Garrett Rangel and 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 that's a situation that you know obviously they lost some pieces they added a bunch via the portal um, I think that it could end up being a pretty important quarterback battle um, just in terms of can they get um, you know a, a really quality quarterback play they 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 couldn't last year that was a challenge when, especially when Spencer Sanders got hurt. Um, you know, I think that that one, you know, you've got Tyler Shuck and, and Baron Morton. I would assume, Sam, you, you would assume Tyler Shuck is, 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 you know, still the odds on favorite there. Um, do you think that that changes over the course of a long off season or, or, or like how, how open do you think that one is? It could, I think it, I think it is going to be open. I, I think, yeah, I would give Shuck. They, the, I mean, they, the they love both those guys. I'm not knocking yes. either of them. They, they 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 do, and I think Shuck is your favorite right now, but I would call it slight. And I, I know Zach Kitley really loves Baron Morton's potential, and I think we saw some glimpses of it last year when he played. Like 
the kid's got some juice. And if he can, you know, take care of the ball and and just develop and grow a little bit, like I, I he's he's the next guy for them. Mm-hmm. But Chuck is such a good guy and such as Chuck is a veteran and experienced. And I thought you know played played terrific down the stretch when he when he was finally able to get healthy again. You'd love to see him be able to stay healthy for a year. It's been tough on him the last two years. But, yeah, I think that one is very much wide open. And and I very much could see, and Joey you know, played a bunch of guys last year. I could very much see him playing both as it is uh, this year. And, and honestly, if you're te- tech, you're hoping for better injury luck because they kept getting guys hurt last year. And so yeah. they end up having to use them both anyway. But I think that one's fairly open. I'm interested in Baylor, too, because uh, – it's Blake Shapin, obviously returning starter, but they brought in Sawyer Robertson, the uh, mm-hmm. Lubbock native who was at mm-hmm. Mississippi State. And I, I think there's going to be a competition there. We know that Dave Aranda is not shy about making bold moves at that position, obviously, after picking Shapin over Gary Bohannon the year after well, they won the Big 12. And I thought Sawyer Robertson was probably going to go to TCU. So when he picked Baylor, um, it told me he, he must felt, feel a little bit better that he's got a chance to maybe go, go earn a job there. Yeah, and, and they've they've deepened their receiver room a little bit. They've added a tight end uh, via the portal, and, and Jake Roberts. They they're beefed up the offensive line a little bit because they lost some guys. So that one's going to be real interesting to watch for me throughout the spring and, and fall. Is like, hey, is Shapin still your number one? How how firm does he grip? Does he have on it? And how much can Sora Robertson become a factor there? Yeah, I think you mentioned injury luck. I think Iowa State's another one we didn't even mention in the Big 12 title conversation of p- potentially have a chance there for a big bounce back. Um, you know, I think that that certainly Hunter Deckers has to take the next step. And and that, that you know, what a wake-up call that whole program really got last year in terms of just their struggles in conference play uh, in going one and eight. And uh, really interested to see what the bounce back looks like for them. Obviously, we've seen in the past that Matt Campbell is not afraid to play a freshman um, if he thinks he's the better guy. And so, you know, J.J. Cole going in there is a, a, a huge recruit for them. I'm curious, um, does that that push Deckers to to really show how good he can be or, or do they make a change there too um, as much as they like Deckers? So um, that's another, another like, you, you just look at like the bottom of the standings there in the Big 12 last year with Oklahoma, Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa State, and you kind of like, well, they're probably all going to be better. You know, like it's just going to be, yeah. it's going to be like, I'm not saying the, the standings are totally flipping next year, but it's it's really hard to sort out here. Like you see a ton of bowl teams, but but who are the, you know, who are the eight to 10 win teams in the, in the Big 12 this year? We've still got a lot more to find out. Yeah, no, no doubt. So it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, and as we move forward, let's, uh, Let's bring in Justin Williams for a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the newcomers in the league. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. I was uh, just down in uh, Fort Worth, Big 12 country, for the the AAC tournament. And uh, I know Cincinnati fans are excited for for the last vestiges of their stint in the American to be playing out here. Did you hit up Sam for some food wrecks? So, Sam, I was just as I was getting out of town – Sam reached out, so we, we didn't. We weren't able to connect. I did have wow, Heim. Sam. That's I had Heim on, for man. the first time. Heim, you had Heim. Good. did you get the bacon yeah. burn ends? Of course, I was. The yes. bacon burn ends were great. Actually, the collard greens I think were the best thing I had there. Wow, they were incredible. But um, did you go like a barbecue tray, or did you try the burger? Yeah, the, what did you get there? The Cowtown plate, I believe, brisket and uh, the bacon burn ends. Oh boy, like. I, I think you can get good barbecue anywhere, but the the brisket in Texas, I don't, you know, I'm not breaking any news here, but like it's it's different. It's on a different level. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, I was I was coming into town right as Justin was leaving town because uh, I went to the Under Armour camp uh, in the DFW area on Sunday, so we just missed each other, uh, unfortunately. But he had Heim, which is good. I I took uh, I took a couple of friends uh, to Babe's Chicken Dinner House. So next time you come down mm. to BMW, you got to go to Babe's and get some fried chicken. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about since let's start with Cincinnati, Justin. Uh, obviously, a new era here with Scott Satterfield. Uh, spring ball about to are they have they kicked off spring ball? Or are they are they underway so far? Yeah, they're they're off this week for spring break, but they had three practices last week. So, so what have been your early impressions? I know you wrote a profile recently about Satterfield and kind of what to expect uh, with him at the athletic. Uh, what are some of the first impressions you've gotten of him since since he's been there, and and whether you think 
he can maintain the level of success and even maybe raise it as they move into the new conference. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing after covering Luke Fickle for the past five, six years that, that stands out is he, you know, Fickle and Satterfield are about as opposite personalities you can possibly get. And that's not, you know, saying one's good, one's bad or anything like that. But Luke Fickle is, you know, he he's intense. Um, he's a fiery guy. Uh, whereas Satterfield's kind of laid back and, and a lot more easygoing. Um, and I think what'll be really interesting for Cincinnati this year is like, how does the program, and that includes the players, you know, the staff, people around it, the fan base, how do they react and respond to like a totally different shift in, in culture? You know, Cincinnati brought in a bunch of guys in the transfer portal, but the majority of this roster is fickle recruited players. And, you know, it, going into a, a new league with so much turnover, a brand new staff, what is that going to look like uh, for a program that had fickle the whole time, had uh strength coach Brady Collins the entire time that were really kind of the basis for the, the rejuvenation that Cincinnati football has had the past five years. What does that look like now where uh, it's a completely different personality and perspective leading it? And, you know, just in general, you know, Cincinnati fans football wise, if you would ask them, well, you know, a year ago, how are you feeling going to the Big 12? Like, you know, they just come off a playoff appearance. You know, they felt like they were going to be able to go into the Big 12 and compete right away. And that's obviously completely changed, partly because of of a fickle leaving, partly because I wouldn't say they had a down year last year, but they just didn't, you know, didn't go repeat as as conference champions. Uh, I think they had ambitions to get back to a New Year's Six Bowl. And so between that and then Fickle going to Wisconsin and and some of the turnover on the roster, now I think you know reality is setting in. Maybe a, a much more realistic reality of all right, we're you know Cincinnati is going to go into the Big Twelve and it it's going to be a struggle probably for a little bit. And so that's the other part is Satterfield you know comes in with now a program that has a lot of uh, expectations and a lot of you know interest and ambition, and is he going to? He basically has impossible standards to live up to unless he goes to the playoff at some point in his tenure, which is asking a lot of any coach. Like, are you going to be able to live up to, to kind of the standard that Luke Fickle set? So it'll be interesting to see where Cincinnati football goes over over this next stretch. I'm, I'm not saying it's playoff or bust for Satterfield to be a success, um, but I think the the mentality and vibe is a lot different than it was a year or so ago. Yeah, and not to oversimplify, Justin, but it is, that is you make a great point. Like, and I've heard that too of like when you go from you know, the, maybe the, the, the things that uh, Luke Fickle learned from Ohio State in his time there about what it takes to be great. Right. And then you go you go to the, the, the Satterfield, maybe more laid back way, not to say it's the wrong way, but you kind of wonder, like, do, do you guys take advantage of that? Do you guys embrace that? Like, I, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And I, and I, I wonder, you know, now that we're a few months into the tenure, um, obviously, like the Louisville era is kind of a mixed bag for Scott Satterfield. I'm curious. What is like the what do you think is like the enthusiasm level um, there like locally about just like this hire and, and kind of the staff that he's put together and kind of, um, you know, what they did post fickle? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the hire itself when it was announced that it was Satterfield was mixed, maybe a little tepid, maybe like, you know, a little lukewarm just because. You know, he was 25 and 24 at Louisville. It wasn't like this big splashy name. It wasn't the young up and coming assistant and, you know, having a lot of movement there. It wasn't, a, you know, maybe a more established name like Matt Campbell or something like that. So I, I think that was part of it. Then you also have to the way in like fans are mad that fickle left. So now they're like, all right, we're going to rally behind the new guy. So there's definitely like he has some support within the fan base. But I think people are curious to see. Louisville has not been this bastion of uh, stability, obviously, in a lot of ways as an athletic department in recent years. So was that part of the reason for, you know, he obviously had a ton of success at Appalachian State and kind of navigated them going FCS to FBS, which is a really tough transition. Um, But I think Cincinnati fans are interested to see, all right, can he kind of recapture some of that Appalachian State success? Um, And and was Louisville a little bit more of an aberration or vice versa? And and so I think that's kind of the, the mentality going into it is, uh, optimistic, but you know, kind of wait and see with Satterfield. When you look at how they stack up with these other programs that are coming in, uh, how ready do you think they are? We talked about this earlier, uh, because I, I visited Houston and kind of got a sense for hey, here's where they are facilities wise, here's where they are uh, budget wise, and, and obviously we've talked about the on field competitiveness. But how ready is Cincinnati for this jump? 
from a competitive standpoint, in your opinion, and from a bigger picture standpoint? And, and how does that stack up, you think, against Houston, UCF, BYU, the other new entrants in the league? Yeah, again, it's it. I feel like it's flipped a little bit because they had a really strong recruiting class that kind of fell apart a little bit when when Fickle left. Which you know that that happens when you have uh, a coaching change. They they lost kind of you know a, a bunch of starters, uh, specifically wide receiver, offensive line. So I think heading into it, you know, even after that they they didn't go back to a New Year's Six bowl this past year. I think people felt pretty good about kind of like the first. You know the first team starters heading into the Big Twelve. I think the concern was what what's the depth going to look like when the competition and talent is better on a week to week basis. How will it hold up? Now again, I think that that's kind of switched a little bit. Where it's like, all right, Emory Jones is brought in to to be the quarterback. You know, uh, he had some moments at Florida, but obviously the past couple of years hasn't looked great. So how's that going to look? They have some holes on the offensive line, especially at tackle. How is that going to do in, against much better? Uh, talent and depth uh, up front on opposing defensive lines so yeah I, I think there's some questions now of a team that uh, a year ago again maybe wasn't going to be top of the line in terms of talent or depth heading into it but felt uh, at least pretty good about you know their best going against the other team's best it's a team that put nine guys in the nfl draft the year after they went to the playoff now that that's that's it's just got to have to be kind of reshifted and, and focused in terms of expectations and and satterfield you know to his credit he's been open about that like he talked about hey we need to go out when this next portal opens window opens in may and get some wide receivers and offensive line he understands that you know he, he's been in a power conference he knows the depth um, that that's going to be required for them to compete, and no one is pretending like Cincinnati is there right now. Um, but it'll be kind of interesting to see over the next couple of years. Can he recruit at the level Luke Fickle was, which honestly was a, a power five level the, you know, the past couple of years under Luke Fickle? Can they get back to that? Can they kind of restack or restock the coffers uh, the way they were trending before? Because I think this year is is shaping up to be much more of a uh, trial by fire transition year than than fans had hoped. When it comes to recruiting and the recruiting ceilings, what do you think that is? And we, we had a piece last week on The Athletic kind of ranking where we thought every Power Five recruiting ceiling is. The, of the new Big 12 schools, we had Houston and UCF in the upper 40s. It was I think UCF 43, Houston 45. Cincinnati came in at 48 and BYU at 55. I think the highest of the of the future Big 12 schools was TCU, which was about 20th. Uh what do you what who of these groups and I'm I'm curious for this opinion for both of you guys who has the highest recruiting ceiling of these newcomers and and has the best chance to kind of make that splash in your opinion? Oh, you want you want to go first, Max? Well, Sam, you when we did this study, you were the big outlier of everybody, right? You had some, <laughs> I believe, statistically, you had some wild takes on this. So why don't you tell the people what you actually had on yours? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is I had where we ended up with Houston at 43 is pretty close to where I had I had them. I had them really close to Texas Tech and Baylor. Uh, I had them all three in a row. I had Baylor 42, Texas Tech 43, Houston 44. I had UCF way high. I had UCF at 29, uh, which is way mm-hmm. higher. And of course, I had TCU as my highest at 18th. Uh, I think I think UCF, just because of how talent rich a state they are, they seem to be in a good place facility set up right now they're in a really good location their nil setup seems to be pretty solid and that's one where i think right now like ucf's way ahead of houston i also had cincinnati pretty i had cincinnati 32nd because cincinnati's in a in a state with a ton of high school talent in all in state of ohio uh and obviously they have a really good track record of winning they've got a pretty decent track record of draft picks in the re, in, la, in recent years too so right now, that's where I see the potential. I think if Houston can get its NIL game together, then I think you can see them move up a little bit more. But Houston is obviously in the best talent setup because Houston sits in the city of Houston, which is one of the most fertile recruiting hotbeds in the country. So I think they're they're all kind of, I think, spread out at this point to me. But but I think all of them have some some serious potential, just at least those three based on where they're located. Yeah, I had UCF and Houston in my top 40, which which was like the ones that really I jumped up quite a bit from where they usually recruit. Um, I'm, I, for the reasons you said, like I, I think I'm, I'm a little more optimistic that they have a chance to really capitalize off off of um, this platform that they're going to have now going forward. And, you know, again, being in, in, in some talent-rich areas, I'm not saying they're going to deliver that level of recruiting class all the time, but I think if we're talking about just upside 
you see it there. And, and I think it's a, those are two pretty desirable jobs from a recruiting standpoint here going forward between um, in-state um, portal, everything. I, I had Cincinnati kind of in that, that just that group together with like Iowa state and K state. That's kind of just how I see them in terms of um, you know, that might be you know kind of high fifties. Like that's probably too low. That's kind of where their average recruiting class has been ranked um, because they already, as we've said in the past, they already recruit at the level of a big 12 school. Like there's, there's no question, especially when you take Oklahoma and Texas out of the league, they're right there with everybody. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you think like there's going to be obviously Justin and for the previous staff, it was so important to, you know, win in state and, and really build momentum there and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the blueprint doesn't change very much, but do you see, is there an ability for, for Cincinnati to, you think, recruit at a much higher level once they have Big 12 status, or would you kind of expect more of the same? Yeah, I mean, in terms of blueprint, you're right. Like, Luke Fickle, you know, he he gave the blueprint. If you kind of recruit regionally and, and in the state, you can do really well with, you know, maybe the guys Ohio State doesn't want or, or Michigan doesn't want, but are kind of in that Michigan State, Purdue, Kentucky, you know, th- those types of guys. And when you have uh, sauce and you have NFL guys that back it up, that that makes right. a big difference. Yeah, they I mean they had they could sell development, right? Because sauce was like a mid-level three-star that they brought in and turned into a top five pick. And that helps you get higher three stars and four stars because you're, you know, your point is, hey, if, if we did this with this guy, imagine what we can do w- with you. The the change obviously is Luke Fickle had been in the state of Ohio his entire life and you know, knew every single high school coach and, uh, you know, had a history at Ohio state of kind of finding those undervalued talents in Ohio. Scott Satterfield doesn't really have that. He recruits a lot of Georgia and Carolina and things like that. So he's come in and he said all the right things in terms of, we need to recruit our state. They kept Kerry Combs on staff. Who's a, another Ohio lifer, uh, used to coach at Colerain. So, so that'll definitely help. But I'm curious to see if Satterfield can kind of maintain that same Ohio level footprint because, you know, again, that's the blueprint and they've had success. And I do think they could take another step up and you started to see it with the class that Luke Fickle was building for this year, because as much as they could say, look at our success, we went to the playoff, all that. It's different when you can sell, you're going to play at a power five school. You know, that was the biggest hindrance they had to landing some of those four star uh, players who you know maybe had Cincinnati as a finalist, but went somewhere else in the end because they wanted to play a Power Five conference. So you you don't have that barrier anymore, but you have someone coming in who doesn't have the the history in Ohio. In terms of like, especially those three AAC schools we're talking about, they're all interesting because they're all in really talent rich areas, but also different areas. So I'm I'm with you guys on on Florida. It seemed like UCF has had a lot of success the past decade plus. Just by taking, you know, guys who maybe Florida, Florida State didn't want, but turned into really good players. I think they can do the same thing where they can elevate a little bit now. Uh, with Houston, I'm interested because they're really the only one that has in-state competition in conference. Like, you know, West Virginia, I guess, would be competing with, with Cincinnati now in the Big 12, but they were kind of doing that already anyways. So is Houston able to overtake some of these other Texas schools now that they're in the Big 12? Or are they still going to be fighting an uphill battle against Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, TCU, those types of schools. So I, I'm most curious to see what Houston does because you're right. They're in the most talent-rich area. Uh, they probably had a lot of advantages that you would think increase now, but they also have the most Big 12 competition around them. Yeah, it's it's, it's tough. And they've, they've lost a lot of kids in the past years to those TCU, Baylor, and Texas Techs for that reason. So seeing them on the even playing field will be interesting. Before we let you get out of here, one thing I want to ask you about. You mentioned – guys going power five that that term has caught a little bit of anger and consternation from one Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American athletic conference. Who you sat down with uh, to talk with a little bit while you were in uh, Fort Worth for the American athletic conference tournament. Tell us a little bit about uh, what Oresco's feeling the, the, the divide he talked about the, the term power five and group of five and why we should abolish it. Give us a little insight for uh, kind of what what his thought was and what your general perspective on all, on all that is as we move into this new college football landscape with the SEC and Big Ten kind of ruling everything. Yeah, I mean this this is a battle. You know, college football fans know this is a battle Mike Oresco has been waging for for years. Uh, everyone's very probably familiar with the Power Six campaign that the uh, the American had had going there for a while, uh, which I always equated to like the Costanza line. It's not a lie if you believe it, and, and the American <laughs> very, very much believed they were a part of that Power Six. Um, 
Oresco's in a tough spot. Like he has to kind of advocate for for his league and the position they're in. He's obviously been um you know hurt by realignment because his his top schools ha- have gotten poached. Um and so I think he's taking the opportunity of the college football playoff expanding and this latest round of realignment to try and, you know, change the the, the language and vocabulary that people are using. I don't think it's going to be successful, but um, I give him credit for, for trying. He also, you know, the, the recent reports that have been out there about the power five schools working on a federal NIL legislation. I think that's kind of what pushed him over the edge most recently to, to bring this up again. Cause his point is like, all right, they're, they're working on something that impacts all of us in FBS and, and even division one when it comes to NIL. So it was just one more opportunity for him to kind of, to bring up this battle again, it's funny. I've heard from a lot of people. I know some other you know people in the industry have too. Like Oresco, he he makes a lot of good points in this argument that he lays out in terms of autonomy and the way the the conference structures have shifted. I just don't. I, I think people are at kind of oh, maybe at this point, whether it's with Oresco specifically uh, or, or just the way it's split up, it's like, well, of course he's going to make that argument. And they're almost <laughs> kind of rolling their eyes like, yeah, here's Mike Oresco, you know, uh, raging against the, the the Power 5 infrastructure yet again. Um, so it almost like it would benefit if it was coming from a, a different voice or, or something like that. But he, he well, has it's so some- funny, Justin, because, you know, it's like there's there's the perception argument, right? There's a perception of why does why does media and other people try to throw us in this box? But there's also like the real thing that he has a that he's you know there's the thing we don't talk about which is the autonomy five which is the same thing but that's the one that's in the rule book and that's right. it's clearly like what is what he's has some some fear and reservations about is the idea of the autonomy five setting some really important rules for the for everybody else going forward here. Yeah, and, and I asked him, and, and he, his point was like, I don't think that the uh, autonomous conferences, you know, matter anymore because his he was like, when's the last time they've passed any autonomous legislation? Which again, he has an, another good point there. But uh, you know, he's talked about how frustrated he is that he's pushed for greater inclusion among the commissioners uh, for, for for the group of five and and all that. And I think it hasn't gotten anywhere. So now he's like, well, the next thing I can do is just complain about the media using the term. And maybe if I can stop the media from using it, um, then it, it'll change on the back end. So it's almost like he's he's doing everything he can. He's pulling out every every club he has to try and you know figure out how to get this switched. And again, I don't know that it's going to work. I think he probably understands that, too. But I think he also understands the more I can at least just put this out there and, and make some waves, um, m- maybe it'll help us a little bit. Yeah, I think I can see us. I mean, look, I, I appreciated him doing it because George Klyovkov didn't say anything last week. So we needed something <laughs> to kind of fill the void among the commissioner talk, you know? Yeah, I can see us getting away from a power five using that term, especially as the SEC and Big Ten change. But I think it just we just move the goalposts. We end up calling them major conferences or something like that and go to the basketball setup. But either way, it's going to be interesting to see how, how this plays out as as everything moves forward in, in conference realignment. Of course, and Mike's got a new league to to restock. Uh, so so we'll be interested to see how all that goes. But Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, hope you have a great rest of your March, rest of your spring, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to, uh, you know, getting bumped up to those those Big 12 calls and meetings that Mike Oresco, you know, talked about all the secret meetings you guys have been having without me. I'm, I'm looking forward to joining those here in the next couple months. All right. Wait, real quick here, Justin. Next year, Big 12 eats. Um, what's the Cincinnati dish need to be at the T-Mobile arena? Is it would you go? I mean, we know what the what the copycat uh, thing is going to be, but which version of it is it which chili spaghetti dish do they need to be serving in kansas city next year yeah so i i i will say this to anyone i don't proselytize for uh for cincinnati chili i i don't expect outsiders uh to like it but i think if you're trying to like uh soft launch it to a new audience you go the the coney route people are familiar with you know chili dogs and and things like that so i i think if you're if you're trying to maybe warm people up to it just throwing them the the three-way with the spaghetti and and the chili and the and the mound of cheese on top especially like in a you know texas kansas city barbecue region that it's not gonna go well you're gonna get a lot of pushback but people can get on board with the chili dog so that's you know for for any uh big 12 people out there who are maybe you know putting a cautious eye towards the cincinnati chili i, I totally understand but just like toe in the water with the with the cheese coney i have a very in the weeds follow-up question for you there so Please. on the with, with the skyline 
they they put a lot of shredded cheese on these, right? Yeah, I mean that's putting it mildly to say a lot. Okay. It's it's <laughs> like an out, outrageously ch- obscene amount of cheddar cheese. Yes, yes, right. So is the is the idea that the cheddar should melt on the dish, or that you should have cold cheddar on the dish? Uh, it's it's not it's certainly not a melted cheese. It is like no. a fresh shredded cheese that you put on top. Now over the course of eating it, it kind of melts down especially as you're putting the hot sauce and the oyster crackers uh and, and i can see your hesitancy and again you guys I, I don't... like cold shredded cheese like that's just gross to me well but you're mixing it in with the the spaghetti and, and the chili I, don't don't force I mean, me to I, cape I, up i like for shredded it. uh shredded uh cheddar on a chili you know stirred in yeah that's great but i think the amount the amount like just the quantity of of uh, shredded cheese on those it concerns me it that's totally fair as a proud and lifelong cincinnatian uh i would eat skyline or cincinnati chili every single day of my life if i could but for those that feel differently i i cannot blame you at all okay thank you thank you for clearing that up it's look it's gonna be an important topic here a year from now um when it's when it's time for uh you know 14 different big 12 eats dishes at the tournament. <laughs> I think the one time that your mark came through Cincinnati, the, which is, this is a classic like Cincinnati press conference, local TV news. You always have to ask, have, have you had the chili? So like any big 12 coach or stakeholder or whoever that is, you know, playing Cincinnati or coming through Cincinnati, just have your answer ready. Cause you're probably going to get asked. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you, Justin, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks fellas. Well, appreciate Justin joining us. I'm proud of him that he that he went to Heim and got bacon burn-ins and and brisket. That's that makes me proud. That, that guy's, been, that guy's proud. been doing his homework. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we've only good, plugged good. that place like uh, how many times now on this podcast? <laughs> I know, I know. We need to uh, we need to ask for some some uh, freaking Ari little... lives like one minute away from it. So I mean, Heim's yes, getting Heim's getting a lot of free advertising in this podcast on this feed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I need to go. Actually, I'm going to go visit TCU here in a couple of weeks after when they start spring ball. Uh, so I need to make a trip over there. Man, Panther uh, City's well. legit too. That was one that was recommended to me by the TCU staff. That that's a great barbecue spot in Fort Worth as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the Texas Monthly List is has a lot of Fort Worth presence on it. So uh, it's uh, we we we're we miss you down in Texas. I can promise you that, Max. <laughs> 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 I had some good barbecue in Kansas City. I did. I went to Buck Tui, which people should look up if they're in, they're in town. That's a that's a, a Thai barbecue. Play. That place is unbelievable. Nice, yeah. very nice. Ha- half rack of uh, of glazed ribs with pineapple fried rice. How's that sound to you? Wow, that's that Legit. is interesting. Pineapple and brisket fried rice. Uh, crab rangoons. Yeah, wonderful. There you go. Look at that. That's terrific. I love it. I've never done KC barbecue, so I'll have to do that. I'll have to do that at some time, at some point down the road. But Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you follow the Andy Staples Show and Friends Feed on Apple Podcasts. Follow the Andy Staples Show on YouTube. I'm going to bid adieu for a little while as I'm I'm on vacation as well uh, this week. So I'm, I'm taking off on uh, in a day or two to take the kids to Disney World and do all oh, that boy. fun stuff. And so <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to need a vacation from the vacation, but... Uh, <laughs> But keep it keep it on the feed. We'll have you taken care of uh, as as things change and develop, and hopefully, uh, no emergency pods needed here in the next couple of days. Hope so, <laughs> take care.